Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. So, Matthew, welcome, uh, w- welcome to my podcast, CISO's Insiders. Uh, I'm excited to, to have you here. And, you know, typically when I start off an episode, I start off with a quick uh, research about the interviewee. And typically I get like one paragraph of, uh, you know, research material. In your case, I got like a full page and a half. So I will, I'll try to, I'll try to, uh, I'll do my best to try and, and summarize what I have here. But you are the, the current CISO of a company called Eclipse Solution. I believe Eclipse provides uh, an end-to-end encryption solution. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I also know that you've been in the field for 28 years. You are, you, you have blogs. I, I, I believe you have a YouTube blog. It's called Cybersecurity Insights. I started listening to it. And I know you're on, uh, you know, a bunch of... Um, of boards and you're involved in the academia in government you have blogs white papers and whatnot you've been in the industry as i said 28 years and i think if i remember correctly before moving into eclipse you held uh, you know a variety of, of positions a lot of what i'm seeing is advisory board members for you know a bunch of organizations here uh, but uh, you know what let me take this opportunity to step back and maybe you could properly introduce yourself <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. And actually, I've been doing security for more than 30 years. So I'm even older than you think. Um, and I love it. I have an absolute passion for it. So and 24 of those years were spent at Intel Corporation. And I did a number of things there. So for example, I built Intel's first 24 by 7 security operations center and managed it. Um, I landed and led the first CERT team, although they call it something different. It's, it's really the computer emergency response team and was the incident commander for the company. Um, I built and managed the cybersecurity capability for all of Intel's mergers, acquisitions, divestitures, site closures, and co-locations. Um, I managed the security roadmap for security products. I helped develop security software that protected all of the IT systems around the globe. Uh, just all sorts of different things. You know, when we acquired McAfee, I work with McAfee and, and also help, you know, uh, create predictions in the industry on what was going to happen. Lots of fun, fun things. In fact, my last role there, uh, I got the opportunity to build from the ground up the, all the cybersecurity capability for Intel's AI group, which is massive. It's huge. It's, you know, billions of dollars of acquisitions and people and talent and everything. And throughout my entire career uh, doing cybersecurity, I've done a lot of advising and helping peers in the industry. And whether it was partners of Intel, whether it was academia, whether it was even competitors of Intel, right? It, it doesn't matter when you're being impacted by cybersecurity. Well, you realize we're all on the same side. We're all against the bad guys, the attackers. So I've helped out organizations. I've helped out governments, um, businesses, you name it, throughout my career. And if you couldn't tell, 
I'm passionate about this. I love this. I've been in it for over three decades and I look forward every day to getting up to new challenges, the next impossible. And I've created white papers and methodologies and you know risk assessment stuff. I just, I love it. I'm looking, always looking for that next impossible task uh, achievement uh, to better the industry, right? We wanna make digital technology trustworthy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an impressive background and, you know, obviously you've been, you've been involved with, uh, I think, most domains in the cybersecurity and compliance realm, right? So you've been involved with, as you mentioned, with M&A, so you, you know all about uh, supply chain security, you know all about product security, uh, enterprise security, and so on. So, and you know, this podcast is not really a, it's not a technical podcast. I'm not here to ask you like any speci anything specific about, you know, the product. <laughs> Uh, that Eclipse is providing and developing. I'm not here to ask you anything specific about recent attacks. I'm more interested in learning more about you and the the path that you took, uh, you know, since you began your career and uh, and until you 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 came to be uh, you came to the place that you are at now. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I always li like to start off. You know, before diving right in, I like to start off with a couple of icebreaker questions here. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pry. I don't want to ask too nothing <laughs> too personal here. And, and so I know that you're married. Uh -huh. uh, but if you if you could, um, and usually I ask, what's your favorite drink? So feel free if you want to answer that or not. Okay. I'm married. I have wonderful kids. Um, I never share details about them again. Cybersecurity privacy guy over here. Uh, favorite drink? Uh, you know, Guinness is up there, but I've got a whole bar downstairs in my man cave full of different types of whiskeys and bourbon. So I've got to say whiskey. I've got to say bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think you need, uh, I think whiskey and bourbons are different, right? I, I'm a single mother. They're very, very close. Kind of yes. Yeah, they're close, but still you can, you can, I mean, it's different. It's still different, but okay. Um, I'm the same. I'm a, you know, for me, single malt and, and then like bourbon and all the rest, but. Um, ah, yes. Great. Okay. So, you know, let me, let me start here. I'll ask you the first question. So if there's one thing that you could, that you wish you had known before you began your career, what would that be? So again, I started my career many, many decades ago, and it was before cybersecurity was even a term. And in fact, it was even before information security was a term. Um, and back then, it was a, it was a dead end field, right? Um, it was baked under some IT group somewhere, had no respect, no upward mobility or anything like that. But I had a passion for it, and I wish that I would have known just how much it would have exploded in relevance and importance as we move through this digital transformation, as everything transitioned from analog to digital and we started being able to communicate in real time and share and create so much data. I knew it was gonna be important, but I didn't, I, I wish I would have known how important because now it is the backbone for the trust that we have in digital technology. If we don't have security, it's not going to be trusted. If it's not trusted, people are going to start stop investing and adopting it. And innovation then begins to grind to a halt. So I wish I would have had better insights, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Um, I, I think that would have, that would have definitely helped me. 
Mm -hmm. So you're talking early 90s, right? Back then, what what did they have? Like Windows 95, it it wasn't even... Uh, I mean, Not even, no, even, you're talking yeah. Windows 3. three. three. Yeah. You know, Windows 3.1.1 was uh, uh, the first network-enabled operating system from Windows. So prior to 3.1, you didn't even have a networking stack. Yeah. Um, and back then you had Banyan Vines. Let's see, I was an administrator for Banyan Vines, for Novell 3, for Novell 4, and then the Windows MAD domains. There were MAD domains before Active Directory. Mm -hmm. So I was an admin for all of those as we started to develop that and computers started to actually communicate. Yeah, they used to. I mean, I remember that when I started, they still had, I still had some customers that used the IPX, SPX, and NetViewers communication protocols and mm -hmm. Win95 that you couldn't really secure or do Sneaker anything about net. it. <laughs> <laughs> Five and a quarter inch floppies. Yes. Exactly. Well, uh, um, I had an Atari when I was growing up, you know, with the so single disc. Yeah. So. I'm that so old. did I. I had a 600XL. That was the first computer I ever bought myself. And it had 16K of RAM. And so yep. I learned how to program in BASIC. And I would actually fill up the memory registers with my programs. Um, yeah. yeah, I had a tape drive. A tape drive for storage. No, I didn't have those. It, they were too expensive. Just the floppies. <laughs> At some point, we, we upgraded from, I think, five and one quarter to three and a half inches, I want to say. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, okay, so, uh, I mean, as you mentioned, you, you've been around, uh, you've been a few times around the block, right? Uh, in your entire career, is there a single biggest failure that you could point to and and maybe what what did you learn from it biggest failure i would say it would go back to kind of what we talked about um because you know i was very interested in security uh the adversarial nature of it the fact that you're protecting things all those appealed to me but again there there was no clear career path there was no job or job descriptions even and so that held me back from helping to find that, um, you know, within organizations. And so I think the, the biggest failure that I had is I didn't move fast enough with mm -hmm. my passion. It was absolutely my passion and I just didn't maneuver. I didn't push hard and fast early enough. And, you know, I look back and, okay, I was playing it safe, you know, and I was building other IT skills and, and everything else. But looking back, following your passion and and i tell this one when i talk to to you know college students and high school students and even grade school students you know when you find something that you're truly passionate about work isn't work anymore it's fun yeah you know pursue that because if you're going to spend 10 20 30 40 years doing something you want to wake up in the morning with a smile on your face just can't with full excitement and just can't wait to get into work, to start doing great things. Yeah. So I would say that would be it. And you know, that that's interesting because I had the period in my life that I felt uh, uh, in, uh, I felt, um, I wouldn't say the same, but I think it was similar. And it was one line in one song that really made an impact on me. I'm not sure if you're a Pink Floyd fan or not. Oh yeah, I love Pink Floyd. So there's a song called Time and then mm -hmm. there's a line there, there um, 
and you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. And this, uh, for me, that made an impact. And I actually quote this, uh, this line in the song in many of my presentations, because that, for me, that, that, you know, that made the difference. That made me, you know, get out there and change my life. But um, so I, I can definitely understand what you're talking about. But, you know, so your biggest failure, you, you would consider that not embracing uh, cybersecurity or, you know, back then it was called information security too soon and going all the way, like going all in. So committing. Yep. Yeah, yeah that, that was the word I, I was looking for. So what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? Ah, so when you've got the passion, you've got the energy, um, you can start pursuing the impossible tasks. And very early on, uh, I swung way above, you know, what I thought my skill level was and went after everything, uh, everything that I could. Uh, for example, at Intel, uh, three, there were three attempts that they had brought to the executives to propose uh, building out a security operations system or a security operations center. And all three of them got shot down. And my manager, who was a, who was a good mentor to me, really smart guy, you know, he said, hey, you know, I know you like security. You want to take a swing at it? You want to take a shot at it? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, what's the worst I can do is fail? Okay, sure. Let me write up a proposal. Let me do this. And so I wrote out a detailed proposal with research and numbers and made the business case, framed it in business benefit and gave it to him. And he says, okay, I'll present it. And he went and presented it and he came back to me and he said, they bought it. They're buying in. They're, they're going to invest. And I said, that is awesome. I am so proud that our company is doing this. I said, you know, um, who did they indicate that they wanted to run it? I'd love to sit down with them and kind of pass on what I was thinking. And he started laughing and he said, you. <laughs> so you either need to put up or shut up. And, you know, you're the one that came up with this idea and you know, the culture at Intel, it didn't matter what grade you were at or how many, how far in the organization you were, if you had a great idea, the culture back then was great. Give that person what they need and, you know, let's let, let them succeed. And so I got this great opportunity to build from scratch security operations center. And, you know, that taught me go after those bold things. Um, you know, someone told me, Hey, at the time, uh, there was nobody believed that there was ever a return on security investment. It's ROI, but for security. And many of the people in the industry, the brightest minds said, Nope, it's simply not possible. Well, I was running a project with some customers that really needed that. They were very analytical. They were running the factories. And so I went forward and said, well, I'm going to try and figure this out. And I developed some methodologies. I did a ton of learning to understand more statistics and mathematics and, and methodologies and everything else. I developed a methodology specifically for cybersecurity, ended up using over 4 million data points, was able to create a model that could accurately predict within a period of time, accurately predict what was going to happen or not happen if you didn't do anything. And it proved to be correct. And so I, and it was almost like a thesis um, situation. I went to the most notable cybersecurity uh, group, right, in the industry. And it was a small cadre of people of about 20 or so people, uh, cybersecurity metrics forum. And these were the best minds 
in the world on cybersecurity. And, and it was an invite only kind of little club. And I said, hey, I think I can prove ROSI. And they're like, no, no way. And I submitted a paper and they said, okay, come and present. And we are going to rip you apart. I said, okay, all right, sure. So I come in and even before I get up to do my presentation, I had people coming up to me, brilliant, brilliant people, people that I hugely and said, you know, you know, we've all, we've all gone through this and it's simply not possible. And I said, you know what, I'm going to be up there, hammer me, take apart my methodologies, take apart my data, invalidate it. That's what I'm here for, right? We're all among friends. This is a tight group. I went up and I presented and it took about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, and then there was about 30 minutes of questions. And at the end, people, those same people came up to me and said, you're right, it's possible. And it was just, it was amazing. And then they invited me to stay and I became part of that group as part of that invite only group. But again, you know, swing big, go for the, go for the stars. And because of that, the biggest accomplishment I've had is that has brought me into contact with people that are far more brilliant than me. I'm not, I'm not all that smart, right? But it's put me into those rooms and in contact with community of brilliant, brilliant people so that I could learn. And that is really what you need to, to move forward and to make a difference. And so in every project, I try and get the smartest people possible so that I can learn from them. Mm -hmm. And these types of projects, got me into those communities, into those rooms, connected with those people across the industry. And that was when, that was like in the early 90s? Yeah, uh, white paper is actually published, so you can go out there and take a look at it. It was when I was with Intel, um, and I think I actually titled it Return on Security Investment. So you can go off and take a look. I can't even remember the years. Uh, okay. I did that one. I did another uh, methodology called TARA, the Threat Agent Risk Assessment. That was another one. Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff out there, so I, okay. I don't want to bore your readers, but if somebody's interested in security metrics, the, there's, there's a white paper out there with my name on it. Yeah, and I just wanted to touch on that because I think, you know, you, you were able to, to pinpoint a very uh, important uh, idea here. Because back in the 90s, from what I remember, and even in the early 2000s, and even after that, Information security professionals were not talking about information security from a business perspective. And I can only assume that leadership in the company that you were working for, I believe that was Intel, I think they bought in because you were able to digest and deliver like the message in such a way that it made sense to them, right? Yes. Because back then, what I remember in the industry was, you know, um, a bunch of nowadays we will call them a bunch of vulnerability assessment reports you know <laughs> open ports yes. missing patches uh unhardened servers and so on and so forth but you couldn't really talk to management by showing you know a list of open ports it doesn't right it doesn't compute how many times your firewall turned away something does not mean anything to executives and to board members now exactly so if if i was a young listener right now that's only that's only coming now into the industry what i take out of you is the ability to talk biz to talk with the business about information security in in a way that makes sense to the business and you, you're able to 
you know, to, to present and actually demonstrate how this will help the business and facilitate mm -hmm. and, and enable the business, that would be your ticket in. And That's it's one what of I'm the thinking. top skills for CISOs nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a difficult skill to acquire. It really is. A lot of people that move up into the ranks and become a CISO are very technically oriented. And so they speak in technical terms. And that's different than the business world, right? And so having that translating capability to translate risk and sometimes even technical threats to something that reflects what the business people understand, right? Speak in their terms, um, you know, of market growth and TAM and SOM and, and, you know, skewing of products and what are the risks and opportunities? Um, as, you know, a, a cohort of mine, you know, says Malcolm Harkins, you know, he coined the phrase protect to enable. And he's absolutely right. In fact, it's even more than just enabling. Cybersecurity is moving into a position where it not only helps reduce the impacts to an organization, it can actually be a competitive advantage for organizations to, uh, you know, imbue good cybersecurity into their products and services. It can differentiate them uh, from their competitors. So again, being able to communicate on different levels, with whether it would be with the technical folks or the process folks or the regulatory folks or the auditors or executives, C-level and boards, it takes a certain level of translation and you got to speak their language. It's a hugely important skill. And let's try to hone to hone this, uh, to, to clarify this message here, uh, because it relates to my next question. So my next, and I, and I believe you answered that, but my next question is, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? So maybe if you could, you know, uh, summarize, I, I think, I think that that would be a summarize of what you just said, right? Because um, I'm assuming it goes back to, to be able to, to talk with the business and, and to, and to be able to present it in, in, in such a way, but is there like any specific, uh, you know, one thing that you could, you could say here about how to get to that point? Let me actually, let me hit three points because I think they're all important. First off, I've already talked about it. You have to have passion. If you're just thinking I can make a big paycheck here, the amount of stress and, you know, ambiguity and everything else, it's going to burn you out quick. You're going to realize, nope, this is not for me, right? So you have to have a passion for it. If you don't have a passion for cybersecurity, then don't even try. Don't push yourself. You won't get it. If you do, great, Right. Um, the second thing is to understand, although uh, everybody has a different skill set, some people are highly technical and there's a place for you. Some people are really good with process. There's a place for you in cybersecurity. Some are just leaders. They're not good at, te at technical things, or but they're good leaders. There's a space for you. So there's space for lots of people. But the one thing that's important is for you to understand you have to be able to communicate. Cybersecurity is a team sport. Sometimes I run into people who are very good technically and they say, hey, I, I just want to look at logs all day long. I want to sit in my cube and only look at logs and see, you know, find, great. And you're going to be good at your job, but you're never going to be great. You need to be able to work with others uh, because you won't spot everything. You won't be able to do everything. So you have to have that teamwork mentality. And lastly, given the fact that cybersecurity is hugely ambiguous and it is a chaotic field that is constantly changing 
right? No matter what job you take, I guarantee you in 18 months, something will have fundamentally changed. Your title, your roles, your objectives, the tools you use, the goals you're trying to achieve, something major is going to change and it's going to feel almost like a different job. That is part and parcel for cybersecurity. That is the norm. So if you don't operate well in areas that are highly ambiguous or areas that are highly chaotic and always changing, this may not be the field for you. If you're okay with that, you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. So you need to be very adaptive and agile. That's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and open-minded. And you got to work with everyone else. Right. It really takes a team to get something done. The bad guys are really good at teamwork. Yeah. You know, the good guys, they have to be just as just as proficient. Mm -hmm. No, and, and I totally liked, you know, cybersecurity is a team sport. I think I will use that as a quote for this episode. Uh, um, <laughs> OK, great. Let, let's uh, and, you know, let me ask you uh, about a slightly different topic. So in a lot okay. of organizations here. You know, uh, CISOs, sometimes they're, they're a part of the IT organizations in other organizations that they might, you know, report directly to another yes. C-level executive. What do you feel about the role of a CISO that's actually a part of IT? Do you, can, if you can, you know, just elaborate on the pros and cons of that. Yeah. So, you know, IT is very important as a partner. Now, keep in mind the CISO because they kind of define the risk, you know, uh, methodologies. They help steer technology. They help develop corporate processes and they're reviewing things and whatnot. Their goal is about managing risk. And in order for them to do that, they actually have to partner with all the C-suites, right? It doesn't matter if you're in charge of human resources cybersecurity needs to work with you and you need to work with them. Or you're part of the, the CTO, right? The technology office or your IT, it doesn't matter. That's the way things actually work in managing risk. You have to work through the other partners. Now, IT is a very special partner because this is the battlefield, right? It's IT controls the network. It controls the server, the databases, where the bits and bytes flow, um, access control, all that kind of stuff. So this defines the battlefield, right? Or the playing field, right? The soccer field, whatever you want to call it, whatever analogy you want. And so it's extremely important for the CISO to be involved in understanding what that environment is, how it's going to change and adapt over time, right? What is the IT department? Are they going to be upgrading things? Are they going to be expanding networks? Are they switching vendors? All those kinds of discussions the CISO needs to be a part of because it could impact the overall risk uh, management plan. And you wouldn't want a small change to completely undermine all the controls and turn an organization upside down, create a huge uh, vulnerability or even worsen, you know, exposure or an exploitation. So partnering with IT is very important. Having a CISO under the IT mm -hmm. is good because you're very close to that um, environment. However, there are some downsides because when you're reporting to, uh, you know, whatever executive is managing IT, every problem is an IT problem and your only priorities are IT priorities. And again, cybersecurity is servicing all the C-level, yeah. all the C-suite. Give you an example. 
in IT, let's say you know you own the infrastructure, the network, you own the web page, the database, and all that. Typically, the primary concern, not the only one, but the primary concern is availability. Keep it up, right? Because if it's down, employees can't work, customers can't get to you, you can't run orders, you can't do business. So the primary goal, um, and again, it's one of many, but the top goal tends to be availability. That's great, yeah. completely legitimate. That's what IT should focus on. However, if you go over to finance or HR, you go over to HR and say, what's your priority? Uh, uptime's kind of important, but you know what? Keep our data confidential. We don't want a list of our, you know, what the executives make. We don't want um, HR records to be exposed uh, or internal reports, right? HR reports. So make sure that the confidentiality is bulletproof. We do not want a data breach. Okay, that's very smart. Yes, for you, that's the most important thing. You go over to finance and finances will tell you, I don't really care about confidentiality that much. I do, but not that much. Uh, availability, I can sustain a day or two downtime. I'm all right with that. But the one thing, the one thing I do not want is don't let somebody mess with the integrity of my data. Don't let somebody move a decimal point on the paychecks. Because mm -hmm. then right? you mess That's with the IRS. That's really important to me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so if you're buried under IT and IT is approving all your projects, the projects for availability get funded, the projects for confidentiality and integrity, not so much. Less. Yep. So there can be a conflict of interest uh, mm -hmm. being buried under there. That's why the, the absolute best position is really reporting to either a president or reporting to um, uh, a CEO, uh, things of that sort with a direct line to the board as well. So presenting a few times a year to the board. That's the best scenario. That, that way you can service everybody's needs and the CISO can be that person, that expert to find that right balance, communicate it, and then make it a reality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and, you know, being in the industry for more than three decades now, and, you know, being in all these segments and academia and whatnot, what would you say were the best resources that, that, that you used along the way? People. people, by far, people, it's got to be people. It's the knowledgeable people out there and, and even the passionate ones. Uh, you know, when you work with, uh, you know, a large company, there's always a few people that uh, are interested in security and they tend to be advocates, even when nobody else is, right? Yeah. Leveraging them, very important. Finding the knowledgeable people who understand the landscape or what the products are or the threats or, you know, what's happened in the past. It's really about the people. Um, I can go learn how to be an admin in Banyan Vines or Novell or AD or something like that. I can learn that, that's easy, right? I can, there's resources for that. But people tend to hold tribal knowledge that isn't easily acquired. And they hold the historical record in ways that reports just won't. And they've got the skill sets in many cases for that next innovation that hasn't been published or well-documented or figured out yet. So no matter what the challenge is, no matter what you're trying to overcome, getting a hold and, and, and working with the most knowledgeable people is the best asset, bar none.
Mm -hmm. and, and could you name like a few people, might be mentors, might be colleagues that, you know, really made an impact on you? Well, you know, my career, I've, I've done all sorts of different things. And so there's not one person or, or one, um, you know, name that I would give. It, it really depended on what the objective was. And so it could have been teachers, it could have been a good mentor. Um, it could be, uh, you know, I've had software projects where I had just brilliant software engineers, right? Uh, you know, I can think of one where we were developing a product basically that would uh, monitor the entire environment, making sure you're patched. And if something went wrong, it could push you to a secure network, fix you, and then bring you back, all sorts of stuff, right? And it was an internally developed tool. We ended up giving it to external vendors who, who made billions off of it. But um, I had some Windows engineers there that were so smart, Microsoft would call them to help troubleshoot their code. I had a phenomenal QA person phenomenal world-class best QA person I've ever worked with and he knew his limitations and he was still brilliant best in the room right or in any room but he also knew where areas that he was weak and he would go off proactively and get the experts the best in the field there to help him fill in the gaps so you know for every challenge there's going to be a different set of people and so don't limit yourself, I guess, is, is the, the advice I would give. Don't mm -hmm. limit yourself and say, oh, it's got to be a professor. It's got to be a manager. It's got to be a technical person. No, it doesn't. Right? It can be a superstar customer that's willing to give you information and raw feedback, brutal feedback that nobody else will. That might be that best resource that you have. So for any given challenge, right? Keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, I, and, and that makes sense to me. But, um, and you know, the, the cybersecurity realm and, you know, with, with everything that's going on, you have so many myths about it, about this profession. You know, sometimes when I, I you know, I, I look like I'm a member of all kinds of groups in social media and, and I see like newcomers into the industry asking like, what's the first thing you should do? And then you get all kinds of advice there. Yeah, you, you really need to know how to code. You really need to understand networks. You need to start off as a SOC analyst and so on and so forth. If there's like, a, a, you know, one common myth about this profession that you want to debunk, what would that be? There are so many. Huh? I did a great blog on like the top 10 or top 20 of them out there. But my favorites, um, and, and this is from a managerial perspective, security is not binary. And, and it, I still run into this with some organizations. Um, executives, you know, will come to me and go, hey, you're an expert. Tell us what product or what thing we need to buy to make us secure to just turn that switch on and we're good, right? We'll buy it and we're done. We're done with the security, it's finished. It doesn't work that way. It's not on or off, right? It is a spectrum and it's constantly changing. It's a waveform and you're on there somewhere, right? Uh, but they really wanna believe, oh, security is simple. You just gotta stop the bad guys or you just 
like just close all the vulnerabilities. That's easy, right? No, it doesn't work that way. It's not as easy as you think, and it's certainly not binary. Yeah. So those kind of conversations tend to take a left turn and I give them some more examples and their eyes open wide going, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. Okay, this is a lot more complex. Yes. Okay, yeah. we're on the same page. Now let's figure out what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, security is not binary. It's a process, it's a spectrum, whatever you want, yes. to, you might want to call it. And, and you know, even physical security, right? If you look uh, how it evolved, uh, you know, in the last 21 years, you know, imagine, just try to remember what, like how it was before 9-11, right? In, in the airports and, and how it is now. And, you know, I think security changes in accordance to the landscape, right? To the threat landscape out there. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely in agreement with you. And, and, I, and I've had a lot of those customers asking me, okay, what product should we, should we buy so we can just check the box and move on? <laughs> right, be impervious and we don't have to worry about security. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, doesn't work. Uh, what would you say are the main concerns nowadays uh, that CISOs encounter? Well, we talked about a couple of them. First off is communication. It's really important to be able to communicate because if you can't communicate, there's no way you're going to get buy-in and there's no way you're going to be able to define the goals of the organization. And if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a target you're pursuing, it becomes mayhem. <laughs> You'll never get there and nobody will ever be happy. Um, we deal with risk management. We don't eliminate all risks. It's impossible to do. And even if it were possible, it would be so expensive and so, you know, so much friction there, nobody would want it. Mm -hmm. So it's about managing risks, which means you're going to accept some level of risk. And again, if you don't have that communication, you can't come to that proper expectation and, and goal setting. And, you know, often I'll hear a board or I will hear, um, you know, a CEO, uh, you know, ask a, a CISO, hey, we don't want any data breaches, none, zero. Zero is acceptable, no number bigger than zero ever. And the CISO is like, uh, what do I say, right? And I, you know, I've been in those conversations and I said, great, it's gonna cost you $15 billion. What? Well, yeah, I mean, if you went absolutely zero, and oh, by the way, we're going to turn off all the servers. But I can guarantee you, no data will be lost. And they're like, but that's going to crater our business. I said, you're right. You know what? Let's pull back from that. Let's not have you spend $15 million. Let's have you spend a lot less, right? And let's keep your servers up and running. But you have to accept that there is going to eventually be a data breach. Now, we can minimize it and we can compartmentalize it and we can do some other things, but you got to be willing to accept some risk. Well, I guess we can do that. I said, good, good, right? And so it's really about changing that mindset. But if you can't communicate with them, you're stuck holding the bag of, okay, I fail if there's a single data breach. One record goes out the door. You know, you might as well be getting your re resume ready. Yeah. So, you know, communication, setting the goals, right? And making sure that you have buy-in because a CISO without the buy-in and support of all the other C-level officers, they can write policy, but that's about it. Nothing will actually get done. Yeah. So those are some of the main problems and challenges that a CISO has to deal with.
and and yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, running a business is is all about risk management. So it doesn't make sense yes. that you're able to intake risk and accept risk in other realms and domains like sales and marketing and logistics mm -hmm. and inventory, but you're not willing to accept some risk related to your data, which is the most important thing that you have, right? Uh, in most cases. Um, but you would only think that if you thought security was binary. Flip the switch, exactly. make us completely impervious, therefore zero data breach right? Zero records ever being exposed is okay. That's, that's the binary mind mindset that has to, to be worked out. Yeah. But it's more than communication then communication and awareness and, and, and training, mm -hmm. you know, you need to have the leadership on at the yes. same to, to be able to talk with them at eye level and they need to understand that you're on their side and, there aren't there aren't any magic bullets here, any silver bullets. <laughs> no silver bullets. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, and you know, I've added a, a a question recently that that's meant to you know just share like what does the day of a CISO look like? So, and I know I'm not here to you know pry on and learn anything <laughs> yes, about yes. your private life, <laughs> but if you could you know just given a sense, like what's your daily routine looks like in terms of like how you get your updates, like meetings, updates, and so on. If you could elaborate on that, that would be great. If not, that's good as well. <laughs> no, that's fine. And again, I'm, I'm a CISO, but I also do a lot of other things. So I'm going to generalize it a little bit, but it's, it's pretty much true for, for what I do. And again, keep in mind, I'm really passionate about this stuff. So even on my day off, I'm doing things. Uh, a typical day for me, you know, it starts with waking up and I've already got things on my mind. Uh, I've already got, I'm already prioritizing some of the bigger challenges that I need to work on, not only today, but something that might be, you know, a longer term goal. Um, first thing for me is I have to get my coffee. If I don't have my coffee, I can't think straight and I can't think at pace. So for me, it's grab some coffee. Then it's, okay, let's see what's on fire. Right. So it's, it's, you're going into email or into Slack or into whatever tool that you have. You're looking at what text you, you know, that came in at two 30 in the morning um, that you didn't see and okay, what's on fire that I need to try and jump into now. And in most cases, you're talking with somebody who's dealing with something and you're getting an update and you're reaffirming this, the, you know, what they need to do next and you're setting a goal for them. Great. If the fires are out and that can take anywhere from, you know, 20 minutes to three or four hours, then it's a matter of, okay, now let's look at how the business is running. Because again, I'm tied in to all the other C-suite officers. So I'm learning how is that IT project coming? And I'm, you know, looking at the engineers going, okay, when are you going to release? Are you going to, you know, what, what, what new features, what data are you gathering? Where are we going to store that kind of thing? So it's understanding how the business is operating so I can potentially get ahead or insert myself where I need to. Then I take a break and I try and, and during the time I'm refilling my coffee, I'm probably on cup four by now. And then I take a break and I pull back and I look at the industry. What's burning in the industry right now? Right. What are the big threat agents doing? What big vulnerabilities have, have come out or been announced or being talked about? 
Uh, and at this point, I'm starting to look at my peers because my peers are also sending me emails and shooting me texts and wanting to have a quick conversation. Hey, such and such company just got hacked. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're having a quick meeting over here, you know? And so, you know, three or four of us will jump on a bridge and, and we'll start talking. Okay. What happened? What's going on? I got to go check my stuff. Okay. You know, do you need me help? Um, and once I've got a, a good understanding, if there's nothing, you know, major going on in the industry, then I can start going into the normal meeting schedule of my day. So I've got probably anywhere between on a low day, six meetings, on a high day, 12 to 14, and their project update meetings, their risk analysis meetings, their security metrics reviews, they're talking to, you know, the policy team or the exception board or whatever about various different aspects of risk. And in some cases, I'm the decider on something. In some cases, I'm simply giving input. In other cases, it's the project that I'm running. So I'm coordinating as the master puppeteer what's going on and, you know, are we, are we meeting our goals or, or deliverables or, or objectives, milestones? So there's a lot of that. Um, by the time I get towards the end of my day, and I'm about on cup six, I'm sorry, cup maybe eight, seven or eight, uh, and this is kind of towards the end of the workday, then I'm reaching out to my other peers uh, throughout the industry and talking about what we need to be doing to make our industry better. We all have a role to make cybersecurity better. We all have um, a commitment to work and to communicate with each other. The bad guys do. We have to do it as well. And it takes effort. So I reserve time to go off and do that. And whether it's in LinkedIn or whether it's a, a Zoom meeting we have scheduled, whether it's uh, work on a white paper we're developing or an article or research we're working on, I'm doing that and it's strictly for the benefit of the entire industry, right? I've got a, a video blog that, a uh, video channel, um, uh, cybersecurity insights on YouTube. And this is, this is one of the things I've actually, I've loved. I've done over 50 videos and it's an opportunity for me to, you know, get on the screen and talk about recent events and either rant about them. What the heck, you know, was someone thinking or tear, uh, tear down an event and say, this event seems kind of benign, but let's look at the strategic impact. Let's look at it from a different perspective and why it's actually really important right? Or come up with an idea. Hey, why doesn't the industry do X, Y, and Z? And again, I just throw it out there on the channel and let people interact and decide yes, no, contribute to the conversation. But again, communicating with the cybersecurity community. And sometimes I have good ideas. Sometimes I have horrible ideas, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because as long as people are jumping in and sharing and giving input and sharing their insights and experiences and why it's good or why it's bad, we all get better. And by this time, I'm probably home or, or spending some time with the family. And once the kids go down, then I go into research mode, right? And I'll start doing deeper research for different projects that I'm on. Uh, you have to keep up to speed with everything that's happening. And I look at a lot of research, whether it be for uh, AI, whether it be for quantum, whether it be for blockchain, whether it be for, you know, different areas that attackers are going to go after, like cryptocurrency or whatever. Um, and I've got pet projects at, that I have at home, right? I've got, 
several servers downstairs stacked with video cards that I can crack passwords, I can build environments, test environments, and I've got a lab and just fun stuff. And by about 2.30, I'm normally in bed. And then that, I start the process over again. <laughs> that would be AM, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, my well, wife normally kicks me about 2 a.m. going, yeah, you need to come to bed. Okay, honey, yeah, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And 30 <laughs> minutes later, right, I've, I've got to be there. Otherwise, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> well, and, you know, we, we've spoken a, a lot about the industry up to now and about your career path. Let's switch gears here for a moment and speak just briefly about vendors, if you, if, okay. if you might. Uh, if you could put yourself in the shoes of a vendor just for a moment, what is, what is the one promise that you make you, to yourself that you would never do? As a vendor? Or as a vendor. As vendors coming. So vendors is a love-hate relationship, right? Um, the most important thing that a vendor can do is to build trust and to service the industry. The worst thing they can do is be an annoyance or even worse, be untrustworthy. So it is all about trust. That is the currency in our industry. And so vendors, and I know some that are fantastic, fantastic. And a lot of the vendors that I deal with aren't fantastic, right? And either they are giving marketing statements that are blatantly incorrect, right? And misleading. In which case, I never want to talk with them again. You've burned your bridge with me. Don't come to me anymore, right? If you tell me, hey, I can solve your security problem. My widget does X, Y, and Z, and it makes you perfectly secure. I'm done ever talking with you again, right? Done. Um, but there are also great vendors out there that will check in um, or, uh, you know, talk about some of the challenges in the industry, and they're not even selling their product. Right, they're talking about challenges in the industry and innovation, and they know their product doesn't solve every every problem, and they would never position it that way. But they can talk about, hey, out of this this huge ecosystem and things that have to get done, we're really good at this. Consider us for this, and this is why. I love those kind of vendors. Mm -hmm. They're pragmatic. They're realistic, right? And that just builds the trust. And we don't have time for untrustworthy vendors, right? I, I told you what my day's like. And, you know, on an average day, I'm dealing with 200, 250, um, you know, emails at least. And that's what the filter's on. Um, you know, my schedule, I, overall throughout the day, I may have over 20 meetings because of the different time zones that start anywhere from 5.30 in the morning and maybe they end at 10 p.m. And yet I'll get a vendor that says, hey, you know, I want, I want 40 minutes of your time. Let's just meet. You don't know me, but we need to meet. Yeah. And if we, we could do it tomorrow, that would be great, right? Yeah. Tomorrow would be great. Just go ahead and wipe mm -hmm. your calendar for me, this vendor you don't know, right, that hasn't helped the industry at all. Every post on LinkedIn has all been about their product and how they want to sell to you. And there's nothing about innovation. There's nothing about industry best practices. There's nothing other than the fact that they just want to sell to you. Mm -hmm. Now nah, I don't have time for you. Well, how about tomorrow? No, I don't think you understand. I don't have time for you. And not right. even not even on the fifth or sixth attempt, right? No, no. By then, <laughs> I've already blocked them or I dropped them a note going stop. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, and can you single out like uh you know um single most annoying sales pitch oh yes and again this goes back even 20 years right we make you secure infallible security total security complete security anything any of those words right that are just it's blasphemous because it's false and either they know it's false and they're flat out lying to you or they're incompetent and they actually believe it either way i don't want to deal with them <laughs> right and it's enough to be gone in in fact when i was um at intel uh in the security operations center we would we would go through vendors a lot and and let them come in and present and i had a standing rule if we went into a room and any vendor said any of those things we all just get up and walk out and whoever was the person that brought them in they collect them and they escort them out and they can tell them why but don't waste your breath don't waste your energy my staff would just get up it's time to leave and how many times did, did that happen actually two three dozen times wow sounds humiliating for the vendor my team just doesn't have time for that you know and and it's not worth our time to explain it it just isn't we got work to do right we have objectives and impossible things to get done and don't waste another second let the person that that brought them in explain why because they're going to know right they're part of the team and let them escort them out thank you no we're done and this is why and you know i think i know the answer for my next question because you pretty much said it but i'll i'll give you another chance if you want to try to to you know to be specific here okay. what's the what's what is it that you are looking for in a vendor there then so and i know you know it's all about trust but maybe if you want to be more specific honesty honesty and again i've worked with many great vendors and i've worked with products huge from billion dollar companies down to very small none of them are fully baked none of them are complete in in every single way and and fully polished i know that i don't have an expectation of that um if somebody tries to come in and say oh yeah we do that oh yeah it's perfect oh yeah it completely works no it doesn't no it doesn't right be honest with me and i've worked with great vendors who did exactly that in fact i had a great vendor i can't mention the name but when i was building the security operations center uh we had a vendor come in who was doing event monitoring and management and they were a new company and i liked some of the technology and innovation that they had so we invited them in and so the cto and the ceo um uh, i'm sorry the cto and the ceo came in with their head of engineering and so forth and again me and my team were in the room and they said hey we're a new company we think we've got great ip this is the way we're doing it our product is rough around the edges and we don't think we're at the full maturity state yet we want to be we want to be and we want to work with you mm -hmm. i said yeah well i want to work with you too yeah, tell you be... what mm -hmm. here's what we did i said i will allocate engineers on my side you will send your chief engineers here and we will work with you on the product we will give you requirements and issues real time we want it to do this and this is how we want the interface here and this and we will work with you and the benefit there is once you meet what we need and it works here 
it'll work in enter any enterprise on the planet. And, mm -hmm. and they're like, yes, we'll do that. And that's well, exactly what we did. And I said, the caveat is, whatever we ask for and you develop, it has to go in your final product and be fully supported. And that made it to where we didn't have to go write our own products and then somehow have to support them, which is a terrible thing. It, the engineering to do that sustainably is becomes impossible, right? So we got a huge benefit out of it. They got a huge benefit out of it. And they became one of the number one software vendors in the industry. Mm -hmm. So it all started with honesty. And the willingness to, I mean, and the approach to you in a way that they wanted you as a design partner and you, you, you agreed, you accepted, yes. but that could only work in, you know, in specific cases and uh, in specific um, like milestones in, a, in, 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 the, in the lifespan of, of a company, right? It couldn't yeah. happen with all vendors. Obviously. But, you know, honesty is important. So I'll give you a different, different example, a really short one. You know, we would go out and, and we needed certain capabilities or feature sets. And so we would do bake-offs, right, for top five products and bring them in and, and do POCs. And we would ask them. And many vendors would say, oh, yeah, we check the boxes, all, all 10 boxes. We do it all. We do it all. They do do it all, but about half of them, they didn't do very well. The vendors that came in and said, hey, we do these five really well. These five, eh, not so well, but we're working on it. I like that vendor. Mm -hmm. That's the one I want to work with because they're honest. They're not trying to sell me. And some of them would say, hey, we don't even do these things. Okay, that's okay. We may get a different, you know, a, a different vendor just to, to do that, or we may fill it in ourselves, but they were honest. And that really means something. Yeah, especially in our space, right? In cybersecurity. Yes. Are there, and you mentioned your peers and uh, network of colleagues. Are there any specific CISOs in the industry that you, you look up to? <clears throat> yes, yeah. Um, there are many out there and for different reasons. Because again, every CISO role is different because every organization is different. And what the, the challenges of that organization and the goals of that organization. So there are CISOs who I respect in the private industry and in the public industry. There are CISOs that I respect um, that help larger communities, right? Beyond just what their day job is. So, you know, it really depends. And, you know, every person's different. I, and I may fully respect what one CISO has done to turn around an organization but I don't like what they've done in risk management, right? So it isn't, I love you or I hate you. I can respect somebody, hugely respect somebody for what they're doing in one area and go, the other area, eh, you kind of suck. <laughs> but I want to learn from you here and I'm going to ignore you here, just so you know. <laughs> I'll share what I know. But that becomes part of that collaboration process. Yeah. Because... I can bring something to the table. They can bring something to the table and we both can learn and we both can get better. Now amplify that with five CISOs at the table. Then why not 50 CISOs at the table? And that's where you start getting um, industry groups and even uh, you know, consortiums and, and um, conferences that are geared towards that where you get to have that kind of collaboration. And that's hugely powerful. 
In fact, I advocate all the time that any CISO, especially a new CISO, they need to be finding those groups, those peer groups, where they can communicate, share, and learn. Mm -hmm. um, is there any way our listeners or vendors can connect with you in a non-intrusive manner? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Uh, I post quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I respond quite a bit when people are in need or they need some insights. Um, the direct vendor, I'm going to hit you up for this, not so much. Mm -hmm. But the vendors out there that are providing good information, not necessarily sales information, but good information in the industry, right? Productive information, best practices, insights, white, whatever, right? Those are the ones that I notice. Those are the ones that when they do reach out to me, right, with a challenge or problem or an issue, you know, I'm, I am open to having a conversation with. Um, if it's a sales pitch, you know, I'll let them know, hey, I, I'm not interested in, in this particular thing, but let me know if there's, you know, there's other stuff or I'm happy to forward other people on to you that have expressed a need for that. But get recognized based on what you're contributing to the industry. That's the way you get noticed. That's the way you build credibility and trust. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um... And I, again, I think I know, I can, I can guess what's the answer to my next question will be, but what would you say is this the most important thing to you in your career? I would guess passion, but uh, I just want to hear it from you. <laughs> it is passion, right? It's doing what you love. If I didn't love this, I would be burnt out by now. I would have been burned out a long time ago. Um, so it's definitely passion. It's also the support of my family. I, my family really is number one to me. Uh, and so if it weren't for the support of my children and my wife and, and my friends and everything else, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. And so having that support structure also is very important. And that includes my mentors and, and partners and, you know, fellow CISOs and buddies in the industry and so forth that I can bounce ideas off or just rant, right? Um, you know, some of my, my podcasts are just me frustrating. I'm just, it's therapeutic. <laughs> I'm ranting about something just to get it off my chest. And I don't care if anybody watches it or not, I'm just getting it off my chest so I can push it out of my mind and move on. Um, yeah. You all have to find that balance. Understood. Um, do you have anything that you've read or listened to recently that has inspired you and you wanted to share? Read anything? Well, yeah. Okay, this is going to sound a little dark, but I'll go there anyway. I get most inspired when I read about attacks. <laughs> okay, so let me explain this a little bit, right? The reality is our industry is constantly changing and it's changing because of the attackers. The attackers maintain the initiative in this adversarial conflict, right? They're the ones that are creating new attacks and new innovations and, and making things fail or compromising things. And that forces security to respond. So when I read about a new attack, a novel attack, that gets me excited. 
because my adversary I know is smart, way smarter than me. And in many cases, they have more resources than the good guys. They are creative. They are persistent. They are highly motivated, right? They are incredible. And I respect that. And so when I hear of a new attack, that gets me motivated because I have to be better. I have to change. The good guys have to now adapt. Let's figure that out. Hmm. Right? Did we get surprised? Okay, let's figure out on our prediction models. Right? Did our security controls fail? Great. Let's figure out better preventative controls. Did we not discover it for 140 days? Our detective capabilities need to be up-leveled. How are we going to do that? Right? And so all of that starts spinning in my mind. There are huge opportunities and we cannot remain stagnant. It is a kick in the backside to say you cannot be complacent. Keep it's, thinking, keep moving, and keep getting better. It's cyber evolution in a, in a sense, right? And it's no, it's no different than any warfare. So yes. after any war in human history, I think, pushed mankind one step further. Probably several steps. Further. So yeah, larger, I, I, I was being, I was being humble. Yeah, I was yes. being humble here, but we all know what happened <laughs> after World War II. So you know, uh, with the U.S. economy and whatnot. But um, oh, yeah, yeah, and you know, it might be unfortunate, but I guess that's evolution. Uh, uh, evolution is very violent, unfortunately. Yeah, yes. <laughs> definitely. And one last question before we 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 wrap this up: If you had unlimited funds, what would you do with your life? I'd spend more time with my family, number one, but also I would try and progress my passion because getting the cybersecurity industry to work together, to communicate more, to be better, to be more cohesive, that's hugely important. And that's the only way, the only way we even keep pace with the bad guys, much less get some kind of advantage. Mm -hmm. And I'm a technophile. I love technology. I love it. And, and I want all the innovation out there. You know, I want my self-driving car and I want my self-flying plane or whatever. I want all those good toys. I love it. But I also understand if we don't get the security right, the trust and faith in those devices and solutions and services goes downhill. That means we don't use them. That means investment doesn't go in. We don't get the innovation and we don't get there. So if I had unlimited resources, I would keep pushing to make sure that our industry, the security industry is keeping pace and it's enabling great technology innovation. Okay. Thank you for that. And let me take this opportunity to thank you so much for having this, this discussion with me and taking the time. I know, as you said, I know your calendar is pretty packed and I do appreciate the time and all the insights. Uh, it was very interesting to me having this conversation with you. And I'm, I'm positive that a lot of your answers would make a lot of sense and would help a lot of listeners along the way, whether they're noobs to the industry and they're trying to form their path or whether they're in the industry, in the, in the industry already. Um, for me, that was very insightful and, and thank you again, Matthew.
My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And I hope, you know, the listeners take something beneficial away from it. Uh, we all have our contributions that we have to make digital security more trustworthy. Thanks.